We do continue in our series, Why, uh, this morning. would remind you once again, as you'll see in your bulletin, there is a devotional guide for you. We provide each and every week uh, to help you grow in your faith and live with the message. Uh, You can use it individually each morning as you get up or whenever during the day. You can also use it as a curriculum for small group discussion. We have uh, groups in the church that uh, use it that way, and that can be helpful. Also want to let you know that uh, during this series, we've done some interesting things on social media. Uh, every Thursday night at 7, I'm on there attempting to answer more of your questions that uh, you have posted in the comments. And uh, each week they get harder and harder. So keep bringing your questions. I can't answer all of them, but I will certainly try. And we, again, encourage you to do that. But we do continue today in our series, Why? And we begin today with a big question about the Bible. So before we go there, let's have a prayer. Amen? Eternal God, we do thank you for the gift of another Sunday. Oh, a glorious baptism. How precious. The music that stirs us. The the way that we are involved in the community with schools. Lord, we, we just... Enjoy and appreciate the privilege, Lord, of serving you in this way. And now, Lord, you have given to me the amazing privilege and responsibility of preaching your word to these, my friends, and your servants. A task, a tall task, Lord, that I need your strength and your wisdom in order to accomplish. So, Lord, speak to me and through me in such a way that all of us do receive a word from you that will make a difference to our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. How do we make sense of the disturbing passages in the Bible? For example, the question on the screen. If if in the Old Testament we see that God seems so mean, but then some folks say in the New Testament, God seems so nice. Another way it's often put as a question is if God is so loving, then why in the world, for example, does God in the Old Testament command people to commit murder? It's a good question. And I think whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, a Christian, or seeker, or someone who's just curious, sooner or later, whether you admit it or not, you're going to have these questions. Let's face it. The Bible is difficult to understand sometimes. It really is. And sometimes, in places, it's disturbing, to be honest. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to address some of those unsettling passages of Scripture, and we're going to help make sense of the Bible. I remember getting a a haircut one time, uh, some time ago, and I was uh, having a good conversation with a lady who was cutting my hair, and as you can see, it doesn't take long to cut my hair anymore. But we were having a good discussion, and the discussion got around to her asking me what I do for a living. And of course I said, I'm a preacher. She said, oh, really? And I knew something was coming. We always know that when we get that response, don't we? And so she said, well, that's interesting. And I I don't want to bug you, but, but I just, I just have a question. I said, okay, shoot. I mean, after all, she had the sharp scissors in her hands, you know? And she said, you know, I'm, I'm not religious. I mean, I believe in a higher power, and I, but I don't go to church. But it's interesting. I, I have a friend who recently gave me a Bible, and when she gave it to me, she said, here, read it. It'll change your life. And she said, I've been reading a lot of it, and I have to tell you, 
It hasn't really changed my life. In fact, after reading a lot of it, I have more questions than answers. Then she said, for example, why does God seem mean in the Old Testament, but nice in the New Testament? And then she proceeded to give me example after example of those disturbing passages of Scripture. And then she said, you know, I want to believe in God, but I really struggle with the Bible. That was not an isolated incident for me. I have people all the time from all walks of life ask me that same question or a similar question. From waiters to waitresses to people I sit next to on a plane to my friends, to people who simply find out that I'm a minister and they want to ask me that question. They struggle with questions about the Bible, especially those disturbing passages. And critics of the faith will often lift this up. When you watch special shows on people critiquing faith and critiquing Christianity and critiquing the Bible, they will often lift up the disturbing passages that are absolutely there. And they say, how can you square those passages with a loving God that you believe in? For example, what about the biblical command to put to death any child that disobeys parents? Or what about the biblical command to execute anyone who works on the Sabbath? I mean, we would have been gone a long time ago, wouldn't we, Andy and Nikki? We would. And what about the biblical mandate that women aren't supposed to speak in church? are not supposed to wear jewelry, or supposed to cover their hair. What about passages that express the idea that, that women are basically property and they're subservient to men? Or what about those passages of the Scripture that forbid us to eat shrimp cocktail? And I, I mean, I like shrimp cocktail a lot. Or those passages that tell men they cannot shave their beards. Or what about those passages in Scripture that seem to endorse slavery. What about this passage from the book of Exodus? Moses has just come down from the mountain to reveal the Ten Commandments. And many of us know the story. When he comes down, he sees the people of God frolicking, getting in all kinds of trouble, doing perverse things, worshiping other gods. And then Moses gathers the people who want to be faithful to God. And this is what he says to them. Take a look. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you. Go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill your brother, your friend, and your neighbor. The sons of Levi did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 of the people fell on that day. And many people say, and this is the word of God? This is what guides your life? Critics of the faith will say to you and say to me, how can you believe in a loving God when you see this in Scripture? I can't believe in a God like that. And many people struggle with this when they see passages like that. You know, maybe maybe you're an atheist in here today, and you're always welcome here. Maybe you came with a friend or family member, or you're curious about this question, and you said, yeah, that's my biggest hang-up, those passages in Scripture. Or maybe you're a seeker here today, and this series perhaps maybe has meant something to you in your life because you have this spiritual hunger in your life. 
But honestly, you've always struggled with these passages in Scripture. And, and it's hard for you to reconcile this maybe mean God of the Old Testament to Jesus Christ, who's filled with love and mercy. For example, it's hard for you to square this passage I just read to you to the passage where Jesus saves a woman who is about to be stoned to death for committing adultery and saves her. How do you reconcile all that? Or maybe you're a Christian and you're faithful and you believe in God, but secretly you've often asked these questions. Or maybe you're a Christian and you get these questions from people, from relatives who come over on holidays, from friends who want to ask you these questions and you don't have the answer. And you struggle. So how do you make sense of all this? How do you make sense of these disturbing passages? Well, I'm going to address that today. What I'm about to share with you, I believe, is going to help you tremendously if you struggle with these particular questions and struggle especially with disturbing passages in Scripture. I believe the message you're going to receive today with the help of God is going to help many of you get unstuck from all these questions and challenges and be able to receive the Word of God as true and real for your life. I believe many of you are going to begin to see the Bible in a new way. And help you get nourished and guided by the Word of God again. And most of all, I believe, for many of us, we're going to be able to answer those questions from people who ask the same questions I brought up in this sermon today. Now, I know this is uncomfortable, maybe, for some of you, to bring this up. And I get it. And maybe you're thinking, Charlie, you're really going there today? Yeah, I'm going there today. But here's the way I look at it. We believe as Christians that the Bible is the Word of God for us. It is our foundation as Christians. It's inspired. It guides our life. And so we should be able to defend it. Amen? And we should take seriously people who are curious and who are seeking, who want to know answers and to be prepared to give those answers. So let me begin by helping us get an understanding of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. That is the one of the biggest issues I come across where people will say, what happened to God? I mean, in the Old Testament, God seems so mean. But in the New Testament, God gets nice. What happened? Did God see a therapist or something? Did God lighten up or something? It's like that old story of that, that little girl that was confronted with the, the vengeful passages in the Old Testament of a vengeful God, and she's, and the person presented her with it, and she said, yeah, 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 but that was before God became a Christian. Well, God has always been a Christian. In fact, the New Testament reveals, the witness of the New Testament reveals that God has always been like Jesus, and Jesus has always been like God. In the first chapter of John, the Gospel of John, what does it say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. What's the Word? It is the essence and personality of God that was made flesh in Jesus Christ. So since the very beginning... God has always been like Jesus, and Jesus has always been like God. That has not changed. Look at it this way. This may help some of you. In the Old Testament, there are about 23,000 verses of Scripture. Okay? And it's only about 200 
verses of Scripture in the Old Testament that are disturbing, that are unsettling. So if you do the math, what is that? That is 22,800 verses in the Old Testament that speaks of God's love and mercy and kindness and grace. Let's get some perspective. It's not God who has changed. It's our understanding of God that has changed. And I'll get into that later. Some of you may be thinking, well, Charlie, what about those 200 verses of Scripture? We're supposed to believe in the whole counsel of God, right? Every word that's in Scripture, we're supposed to believe. How do we make sense of all this? Well, what I'm about to share with you, I think is going to help many of us today. I want you to listen closely because I believe this is going to be a game changer for many of you who struggle with this question today. And here it is. What's very interesting in Scripture is people have this notion of the inspiration of Scripture, right? And to understand all of this today, we have to understand how the Bible is inspired. That's the question. How is the Bible inspired? Because many folks have this notion that that the the, the writers of Scripture were put into a trance by God. And they kind of passed out. That they had a PhD for a few hours. And then they woke up with this document that they had written. Like they had been abducted by aliens and came back. That's not what it means. Most mainline Christians believe in what is known as... Dynamic inspiration. Can you say that with me? Dynamic inspiration. And this is key. Dynamic inspiration is the view that states that all the ideas and thoughts in Scripture are inspired by God. But God inspired the writers of Scripture within their own humanity. God inspired the writers of Scripture to use their own ideas and their own frame of reference. To convey those thoughts. So in other words, the words of the Bible, well, they they were inspired. And they moved the writers. And those writers wrote in light of their own context. Within their own limited understanding of science. Within their own limited understanding of the world and how it works. God's divinity moved within their humanity. And through their humanity. But what's also interesting is it shows the dynamic quality of of the Scriptures, of of the Bible. And this is important. That means that the words of Scripture aren't, aren't words, dictated words stuck in the past. But rather, they are timeless words that continue to inspire us today and nurture us today and feed us today. You see, folks, the Bible is living and active. It continues to move us. In fact, the Bible says this about itself. All Scripture... In 2 Timothy, it says, is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. What's the word inspired in that text mean? It means God breathed. God did not coerce the writers of Scripture. God breathed on them and moved them within their own humanity. This means the Bible is living and active. In fact, this is what Hebrews says about it. For the Word of God is living and active, look at this, and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But one thing we have to know and hear this, this is important. In order for the Bible to inspire us and to lead us, we must bring one thing to the reading of it. The Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that guides us and directs us as we read and interpret Scripture. That's why giving a Bible to an atheist is not necessarily going to change them. Because the Spirit is required for the Word of God to be living and active as we read it. But you might be saying, well, Charlie, would you get on with it? What about these disturbing passages of Scripture? I'm getting there. What comes out of dynamic inspiration is a thought. A key thought. A key truth, I believe. That's going to help you with this, and it is this. Progressive revelation. Can you say that? Progressive revelation. And here is that simple thought. Progressive revelation means this, that the Bible shows a gradual understanding and knowledge of who God is. From Genesis to Revelation, we see a gradual, clear picture of Almighty God. The Bible shows that the writers of Scripture grew in their understanding of God. You see the nuance there? That just makes sense. For example... Say I went to Amber and, you know, I said, Amber, I want to learn to play the violin. And she did beautiful, by the way, didn't she? I want to learn how to play the violin. Never played it, Amber. I'm going to play the violin. What would Amber do? Would she give me a difficult classical piece like she just did so beautifully? See, here, play this. Practice it this week. I want you to play in worship next Sunday. Huh? No way. First, Amber would have to teach me how to hold the darn thing. And my posture, back to the basics. I wouldn't be prepared to play the violin like she does. And it's the same way with our understanding of Almighty God. When we come to the faith, we don't begin with a perfect understanding of Almighty God. Through our lifetime, we grow in our knowledge and understanding of Almighty God. And the Scriptures reveal that. The Scripture's testimony revealed that folks, the writers, grew in their understanding and knowledge of God. I mean, it's a testimony. For example, the Bible begins with Abraham's parents, who, believe it or not, were polytheists. They believed in many gods. But then, listen... God came along and spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, there is only one God. I am the only God. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You tell folks that. And God made Abraham the father of all nations. But then Moses appeared. As we read through Scripture. Moses appeared. And here's Moses. And he presents the Ten Commandments. And he says to the people of God, listen, you need to get your act together. If you're serious about following God, you need to follow these boundaries and rules. You need to do that. And then the people of God, you want to know the Old Testament and a quick summary. The people of God, 
They tried to follow the rules, but then they failed and they asked God for forgiveness and then God forgave them. And then they failed again and they asked God for forgiveness and God forgave them. That is the repeat of the Old Testament over and over again. But then the prophets appeared. And what did the prophets say? The prophets said, listen, God does not want your obsession with animal sacrifices and rules. What God wants is your heart. God wants you to be merciful and loving to Him and loving to the world. And then Jesus Christ came upon the scene and gave us the clearest picture of Almighty God. God finally said, you want to know who I am and what I'm about and what I want you to do? Here I am. My teachings, my kindness, my love, my sacrifice. In Jesus, we get a 2020 picture of Almighty God. It made its climax, it made its fruition in Jesus. So here's the key. You ready for this? Here's the message today. Jesus is the lens through which we read the Bible. Jesus is the lens through which we read the Bible. We read the Bible in light of God's revelation to us in Jesus Christ. And once we know that, once we look at Scripture and interpret Scripture through that lens, we can make sense of all of it. For example, you may be thinking of those passages in Scripture where God seems like a vengeful warrior. Well, think about the context. When that writer wrote about it, they lived in a primitive culture that believed that there were many gods and they were all warriors. And yet the biblical writer wanted to say that God is the ultimate warrior, basically saying that God is all powerful. But that writer would come to grow in his frame of reference when it comes to God and his power and his love. I like what the great scholar William Barclay said about all this. He says, what of the vengeful, disturbing passages in the Old Testament? What do you make of all that? What's the answer? And I love his response. He says, the answer is this. It's not God who has changed. It's our understanding of God that has changed. The writers of Scripture as they wrote, were still growing in their understanding of Almighty God, but they were equally inspired. You see the difference? When we're able to see Scripture this way, we don't have problems with inconsistencies of particular passages because we know we read it in light of God's revelation to us in Jesus Christ. You know, let me give you an example. Say sermons, for example. Now, sermons, whether it's my sermon or Andy's sermons or Nikki's sermon, they're, they're not as inspired as Scripture, okay? But I think we get inspired, right? What if you discovered one day that I had some inconsistencies in my sermon, that I made a mistake, that the reference was wrong, something was screwed up? Would you say, well, that entire sermon doesn't mean anything? That entire sermon, I'm just going to throw it away. Well, no, I still think that it's helpful. Or look at it this way. You know, I've sometimes looked back at old, old sermons that I did, and I'm thinking, did I really preach those? 
Do people really sit through those? But see, as I look at my sermons, I understand and see how I have grown in my relationship with God. It doesn't make those old sermons uninspiring. But I see how I've grown. Or the U.S. Constitution. Think of it that way. The U.S. Constitution, we revere that document, don't we? We revere it. But we know when it was framed, it was, it was bound by time. Slavery was alive and well. And women were considered property. And so we have learned to grow in our interpretation of that document by still revering how inspired it is. Now, the Bible is much more inspiring than the U.S. Constitution. But that's how I believe we should approach the Bible. But you know what? At the end of the day, the Bible is not to be debated. It's meant to be read. Amen? And to nourish us. I mean, I... When I, when I think of the story of, of Abraham and Sarah, when Sarah laughed, do you remember? When God told Sarah that she was going to conceive a child in her old age and she laughed. Reminds me of the time when I came home that one Sunday and Brandy said, guess what, Charlie? We're pregnant in our mid-40s. I, I don't know. I may have cried. I think I laughed. I'm not sure. But I also think of other couples throughout my ministry who have have struggled having children. But they pray and they work and one day they find out they're pregnant or one day they find out that the adoption came through. And then I read about King David, the greatest king of all of Israel. And I think of people who come to me and they say, Charlie, God could never use me. I've screwed up too bad. I have messed up too much. I can't offer anything to God. And then I share with them the story of King David. And if you know the story of King David, you know that many times he got in deep, deep yogurt. And yet God used him powerfully. I think about being at the bedside of people who are dying. And how I share with them, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads us through the valley. We don't stay in the valley. It says through the valley. And I share with him, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. And then I think of little children, my son Paul, but other children, who say the darndest things, don't they? And then I remember Jesus said, unless you can become like a little child, You'll never be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think sometimes about the values of this world. The violence that goes on, the war that goes on, even our own American culture. I think of the values and then I remember that kingdom values are different. When I remember that Jesus said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. If you want to save your life for me, you better lose it. And then I remember the times I'm anxious and I grab on to the words, be still and know that I am God. And then I think about the times that I screw up and I am unkind and I'm convicted by these words. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
It is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. And then I think about the time that my dad passed away. 19 years old. Rocked my world. And I struggled. I was in the dark a lot. And it was one passage that I held on to for dear life that pulled me out of the pit. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor principalities nor things present nor things to come will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. John Wesley said, we are a people of one book, Scripture. It's inspired. That's why we push attend Bible studies. Attend worship as often as you can. Read Scripture because not only do you increase in knowledge, but it will change your life if you're inspired by the Spirit. You see, it not only speaks about us, it speaks to us. It brings us to our senses. Let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you for the gift of Scripture. How you inspired writers within their own humanity. But we know, as Luther said, the Bible is the manger which carries the Christ. And it's through your revelation in Christ that the Scriptures open up and we can interpret them as you will, as you desire. Lord, help us to continue to grow in your word be nourished by your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're so glad you came to worship today. We hope this has been a time of inspiration, of enlightenment, of meaning for you. Receive this benediction. And now may that mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. May the love of God, our Heavenly Father, abide with you this day and throughout this week. May the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit fall fresh upon you. And the faith and fellowship of all true disciples of Jesus Christ, go with you and sustain you, both now and forevermore. Amen.